Welcome to Off Script with the Heavyweight Chumps. I'm your host, Maddox. And I'm Thunder Cookies, Devin Rains. The name has changed, but one thing is still the same. We're mad. We're fat. And we're loud. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Heavyweight Chumps podcast, now known as Off Script with the Heavyweight Chumps. I'm your host, Maddox. And I'm Thunder Cookies. And we've got independent film again today. It's going to be fun because this time of year, you know, for me and you, Cookies, February and March for us is independent film time of the year. Yes, it is. Um, the Magnolia Film Festival coming up in Starkville, Mississippi. We have the former uh, director and the president of the festival now, Michael Williams, joining us later on on the fat line. But there's some other news coming out of Hollywood that we've not had a chance to get to. On We didn't have a chance to get to on uh, the Heavyweight Chumps Radio Hour Double XL Edition. By the way, folks, if you're not listening, tune in every Tuesday night, radio-memphis.com, every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. You know, there's rumor that Jim Carrey wants to do Ace Ventura 3. I hope it's better than the second one. Look, I'm going to be one of those that tells you I... I think, and the rumor is that he's also working, they're working on a script for another potential sequel to one of his previous films. Uh, And that's the one I would be more excited to see. And that would be The Mask. Right. Because to me, the Ace Ventura films were such slapstick. They almost played like overblown Three Stooges sketches without the actual humor, in my opinion. I think... That era of Jim Carrey went for gross-out comedy. I mean, think about it. He came out of a rhino's ass at one point. So, yeah. I mean, what's your take on on Jim Carrey's early career in film? I found it unique. I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed Ace Ventura. Laces out, Marino. Yeah, she didn't lose the fly balls. You know that movie's come under fire for a portrayal of transgender. I did not know that. Yeah, that that movie came under fire uh, a few months back. I remember reading some things about that. And then, of course, Ace Ventura 2, When Nature Calls. Um, Never have I heard a more apt subtitle for a film. Uh, that movie was a steaming pile of when nature calls, <laughs> um, to be honest with you. Uh, the only film Jim Carrey did in that vein that I actually enjoyed was The Mask. The Mask was good. The Mask, not only was that the one movie of his that I enjoyed in his early career, it's also the only time I ever thought Cameron Diaz was hot. I thought she was always hot. Nah, she she, she just goofy to me a lot of times. I, I I understand that beauty's in the eye of the beer holder. Well, apparently I hadn't had enough when I saw that. Well, I was a little too young to be drinking in the movie theater then. But you know, it wasn't <laughs> the mask. You accepted his overacting, his comedy chops that he had at the time because it basically was a live action Tex Avery cartoon. Yeah, it was. And 
complete with our complete with the wolf gag the at the wolf. table, which yeah. is still one of my favorite gags ever in cartoons. Um, because let's face it, that redhead was bad in those cartoons. Yeah, she son. was. Um, you know, I always said Tiffany might have been the reason I had a thing for redheads. It might be Tex Avery's fault. That redhead was always hot. It probably was Tex Avery's fault, come to think of it. All those afternoons away from all those days off after when school was out or when I was homesick and you got to catch the Tex Avery show on TBS or USA. I forget which it aired on for us. But Jim Carrey's stuff, Liar Liar, I enjoyed. I didn't mind um, Bruce Almighty that much. Bruce Almighty, in my opinion, was eh, but I never watched Liar Liar. Liar Liar probably was of his, well, no, I take that back. I won't even put it up there as his best because to me, the best movie that he ever did was The Truman Show. Yeah, I I absolutely love that film. I think he actually proved he had some acting chops there. Uh, I know he got a lot of credit for doing the cable guy. I didn't like it when he did it, and I don't like it when Larry does it either. So, there, you know, <laughs> there's that element. But now my favorite Jim Carrey movie is the number 23. The actual his his one turn at a horror film almost. Yeah. And it was more of a suspense thriller type, but yeah, I see where you, I, I can understand that. And again, it gave him a chance to stretch and not have to be overacting so much and chewing up more scenery than a Hollywood termite. Right. Um, but I don't know if I want to see an Ace Ventura three. I, it doesn't entice me that much. I'm kind of curious as to what it would be like. Would you, I mean, the thing is they've already done a third film in the franchise because you had Ace Ventura Jr. I never watched it, but the movie exists. I never heard of it. Uh, you also had Son of the Mask. I remember Son of the uh, Mask. Which, if I remember correctly, was Jamie Kennedy was the major star of that film. And if you call Jamie Kennedy a major star, I, I realize that's a bit of a, a reach, folks. Um but it, it it just doesn't entice me. I'm Jim Carrey after Man on the Moon really seemed to me like he's slipping. He got a little too far into the head of Andy Kaufman. Uh and that may just be because that's his his acting style being method. But I don't know. I mean I We'll be the first one to admit I'm not a big fan of. I well, excuse me. I wasn't a fan of Dumb and Dumber at all. Me, either. I never saw Dumb and Dumber two. I, I did. I, I did watch Dumb and Dumber er when Harry met Lloyd, the prequel that was done without Jim Carrey, and it was ignorant. But you know, you expected it to be. Um, I just don't know if Jim Carrey has a place. If his style of comedy has a place anymore, but with the turn for nostalgia that we're seeing in Hollywood, it could work. Like we said, you know, on, on the radio hour this past Tuesday, it worked for bad boys. Yeah. So maybe it does. Uh, for those of you that are out there that are fans, once he gets a good script, he says he's interested, but he has to approve the script first. Um, for me, all you scribes out there in Hollywood, 
please don't give him one. <laughs> um, now we have to dive into something else that I'm not a big fan of either. Marvel Films has announced Sam Raimi will be directing the sequel to Doctor Strange. Interesting. This will be his first return to Marvel since he was banished from the Spider-Man franchise after he made Tobey Maguire dance in a suit. Well, Doctor Strange doesn't dance. Neither did Spider-Man before that. <laughs> I know you are a Sam Raimi fan. Yes. Explain to me why you actually enjoyed his take on Superman. Or Spider-Man, excuse me. Yeah. Explain to me what about his take on Spider-Man you enjoyed, because I don't get it. The the script and the writing. You got to do a little bit better than that one. The, the, whole, the whole plot of it, I enjoyed it. How the Green Goblin came to be and... And how he defeats the Green Goblin, which Green Goblin never should have died. Agree on that one. I, I think maybe my biggest issue with the film was the casting. I did not like Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man. I thought they cast the wrong actor as the Green Goblin. It didn't. To me, they almost tried to take too much of the cartoon element or comic book element out of that project. Uh, for me, I actually enjoyed Alfred Molina's Doc Ock in the sequel more so than I did the Green Goblin. I didn't like the second one as much. I didn't like the second film at all, but I liked Alfred Molina's part in it because Mol Molina is just a fantastic actor and he brought a depth to that character that I don't think you got in Norman Osborn slash the Green Goblin in the original film. And the third is, um, well, it's a steaming pile of when nature calls. <laughs> that's going to be your new line, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm just going to go back to that one because that's the, the case. But anybody that knows me knows I'm a fan more so of the amazing Spider-Man franchise, the two films with Andrew Garfield. Uh, those the, were good. Those to me were good because I, you didn't have, I just couldn't believe Tobey Maguire is a superhero. I don't have a problem with Tom Holland because Tom Holland is actually younger and you're going with the younger era of Peter Parker. Whereas I thought they just, Tobey Maguire was just too old for the role when he took it. He was, what, almost 30? Yeah. So, and, and I'm not a, I, I admit I'm a Tobey Maguire fan when it comes to his acting in other films. Um, absolutely loved him. In uh, Wonder Boy, no, was it Wonder Boys with uh, Bill Murray? Um, I don't remember. He did uh, several other films that were great. He, he's he's a good actor. He just wasn't meant to be, to me, he wasn't meant to be a superhero. And of course, there's rumor we may see him if they do a multiverse angle in Marvel, which the Doctor Strange 2 film is going to set up. So are we seeing Raimi take over Doctor Strange so that he could get another bite at Spider-Man up? It could be a backdoor way of doing so. But again, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know. And I'm not. A, I, then again, I'm also not a big fan 
of Doctor Strange. I did not care for the original, the first film. I think that character for me is too obscure. I, I don't like his backstory. I never watched it. And you, in all honesty, visually, fantastic. Bad story. Not script-wise, I don't think it was ready when they got it to the, to the cinema, I'll be honest with you. Um, when it comes to Sam Raimi, though, as you know, I prefer the remake of The Evil Dead. Right. Um, but in retrospect, I actually thoroughly enjoyed Ash versus The Evil Dead, the television series that Raimi was executive producer on for Showtime. No, so, stars. It was stars. Okay. Why not think it was Showtime? It started with an S either way. But those, I loved those. But I just, I don't know. And I, I don't know if it's Raimi's style, if it was the practical effects in the original films that made them off-putting for me. I can actually tolerate Evil Dead 2 now, but don't ask me to watch Army of Darkness. I still think it's a piece of trash. To me, that's my favorite one. Uh, movie junk. But you could say the same thing about movies I like, too. So, I mean, the, again, art is subjective. Um, and, and what someone's enjoyment level is going to be is all subjective to the audience. And there may be, clearly, there's a Marvel audience for Doctor Stranger. We wouldn't be getting a sequel. Right. So, it's going to be interesting to see just how that plays out. And it's going to be interesting to see just how our film festival run this year is going to play out. Because we got to get ready. We got... We've got the mag coming up with an interview here with Michael. So get ready. Are you a CBD user that's unhappy with the quality of your current CBD products? We recommend that you try Absolute Nature CBD. Absolute Nature CBD is a third-party tested CBD company that offers a wide variety of products, including CBD, medicated, full-spectrum salve, CBD liquids in varying strengths, and CBD full-spectrum soft gels, among other products. Go to AbsoluteNatureCBD.com, use code CHUMPS30, C-H-U-M-P-S 30, and get 30% off your total order. <sighs> nothing beats the pure taste of artist vodka, made with nothing but the finest ingredients, including farro wheat imported from Italy, perfectly pH-balanced water, from the Cascades in Washington State, all blended perfectly into the best organic vodka on the market. Artist Vodka, the art, is in the party. All right, ladies and gentlemen, joining us on the fat line tonight, we got an old friend of the show, somebody that had the guts to actually have us come out somewhere and be seen in public. <laughs> yeah. We've got director, cinematographer, former director of the Magnolia Film Festival. Mr. Michael Williams is here with us to talk about this year's upcoming MAG. How you doing, Michael? Pretty good. How are y'all doing? Doing pretty well. I know you've had a busy year from what I've seen. Yeah, it's been a pretty busy year. Um, it's kind of slowing down now a little bit, so it's a good time for it to slow down so you can focus on the MAG. Yeah, Now, and you're not the festival director this year. What made you decide to step aside? Well, um, I'm technically the president of the festival. Okay. Um, so last year, I kind of was like an interim director until we found a new director. So our new director is Brandon McLaurin. He's amazing. So he's kind of taking the reins this year, and I'm still just president and helping out where I need to. But Brandon and his team have really worked hard the past you know, six, seven, eight months 
to really you know, build upon what we had last year and make this year even better. And last year was we saw some fantastic films while we were there. I mean, and got the chance to meet and interview some great people. Uh, Jeremy Sandy, who we've had on the show, I think twice since, yeah. uh, right. you know, it's, it's like we've said, we've never left a film festival without at least three to four other people that we will have back on the show. It just always seems to happen that way. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's the great thing about the mag. It's such a intimate experience as y'all saw where it's like, Everybody who's there, you get to meet them, you get to see their films, you get to really make connections with them, and you know you're going to be keeping in touch with those people for you know years to come. Yeah, and to be able to do it with you guys only doing with it with being one screen, you get to actually sit there and you can watch the films with the people while you're doing the interviews. Where other festivals I've done, where you don't get a chance to actually go see the films because the press junkets are scheduled at the same time, so it's a yeah, nice it's a nice change of pace. Yeah, that's one thing we really love about the MAG. The MAG's atmosphere is a very family or a very filmmaker friendly festival, but also a very audience member um, friendly festival. So it's a way that, you know, we, we definitely want to grow. We're going to continue to grow. We've grown a little bit this year, but we do love that format of the one screen um, where everybody gets to see everybody's films. The judges are actually in the audience watching the films with everyone, judging them, you know, in the room. So it's just, you know, very, very intimate and, you know, close to the experience. And that's something that Ron Tibbet, the founder, kind of started when he made the festival he made it very much a you know we go out to eat together we sit and watch everybody's films together and we have a lot of time to get to know each other and that's kind of what we want to keep you know as we build we still want to keep that part of the mag right and you know i know a lot of people out there that are listening may not know ron's vision for the festival and why he started it and may not know ron's history uh why don't you kind of fill some people in on how the festival got its start because you guys are the oldest festival in the state of Mississippi. Yeah, so the MAG is the original Mississippi Film Festival. And that was because when Ron moved here, he was a you know, filmmaker and he had nowhere to show his films. And so he you know, got together and he was like, what can I do? I guess I'll just make a festival. And so he ended up making the MAG. And it was in West Point, Mississippi in the, in the early days. And then later tra- uh, you know, transferred to tra- uh, Starfield, Mississippi. But it's really the Golden Triangles Film Festival. And it's Mississippi's first film festival. So it kind of sparked what Oxford became Tupelo Crossroads because that one idea started and he kind of helped other festivals get going and even went up and helped Indy Memphis here and there when they needed help. Um, so he kind of was a big visionary. He just, you know, Mississippi didn't have a film festival and he thought, well, this is a great place to have it. And now Mississippi has so many film festivals more than most States have. Um, and so it's just a really, you know, it's, it's a legacy that I think a lot of people don't realize that it was started by Ron Tibbet just in West Point, Mississippi with the MAG and how important that was, but how it's, it sparked so many other festivals, so many different, like Oxford is a whole different style of, you know, festival and it's a, it has its own personality. And I think that's great too because, you know, you have all these festivals in Mississippi that all kind of started from one idea or inspired by or helped, you know, um, in some way get started, but then they all were able to make their own identity. Right. And I mean, it's, it's funny because I had the chance to meet Ron uh, when my wife and I were were first dating, and uh, he was coming to show a film to her one of her classes. Mm-hmm. So she calls me and says, hey, they're showing a film. Do you want to come see it? And I said, sure. So we go over, and he's showing Citizen Shane. Yeah. And I have never been able to get the image of that fat man hula hooping out of my head. That film was so 
different for a documentary. For those of you that don't know anything about Citizen Shane, it was about a guy who was in, was he in his 20s, late 20s, early 30s? Yeah, I think so. And he ran for sheriff of Lowndes County on a, as a Republican on a pro pornography ticket. <laughs> and, and was pen pals with Charles Manson. And played a lot of Charles, several Manson songs were used in the film. Uh, just a fan. If you guys can find it and you want to see some of Ron's work, I would definitely suggest checking that one out. It is a trip, but it's a great story. And he put together a fantastic documentary. Hmm. Uh, another thing, like he had something he wanted to share and he knew that other people would have stories to share. So it's kind of where it all started. And that's when I bought my first tickets for the mag. That was my first year. Yeah, uh, my wife and I joke that I think we saw that movie in theaters three times that year. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> um, I, she finally said, "I don't want to see another fat man in a hula hoop." I said, "Okay," <laughs> but <laughs> but the mag was at the time. You know, Oxford at the time was still relatively new. It, I think it was in its maybe second or third year, uh, but the mag was such a different experience, and it was so it's so laid back. You could. You could tell it was more, it, it was an audience. You're, you're right. It's an audience friendly thing. You got the chance to sit down or not at that point for me, but now uh, you meet so many different people that will, and, and there's such a good chance for filmmakers and actors to network and even expand on their little troop of people and who they work with that it's been fantastic. And it's funny, the people that I've seen and or have run into or talked to since the mag last year, uh, we've, we've had the chance to talk to, uh, Oh gosh, uh, Sydney O'Hare again. Right. Uh, we had, uh, we had May Lisa again. Oh gosh. I mean, we've had, we've had on, I think three or four that were at that festival last year. And, uh, because I so elegantly made fun of uh, Jeremy Sandy in his interview, and uh, the first question I asked him was, why do you hate boobs so much? Uh, <laughs> because of him being in the short film Breast, that was he was kind of the whistleblower that was uncomfortable because of a woman breastfeeding in a short film, for those of you that haven't had the chance to see that, uh, that he got a kick out of it. And eventually I ended up interviewing his wife as well, so... It's funny the connections that you can make at these independent festivals that you wouldn't get a chance to do otherwise. And I mean, I'm like you. I remember back when there was no independent film scene whatsoever in this state or in the, even in the southeast, really right. anywhere within driving distance for me. But what are some of the changes that people can expect that or, or that are coming up this year for the festival? What are the things that have got you guys really excited? Well, the, one of the big things is that we wanted to expand our lineup because um, there's, you know, we have a, we've always had, you know, films that were in a block and you have to kind of consider the block R rated because, you know, you may have a family friendly film or film that doesn't have any cursing, but the next one is, or there may be nudity or things like that. So we really wanted to make it to where, you know, if they, people did want to bring their family or if they did have young, you know, teens or even, you know, eight, nine year olds who are interested in seeing what independent film is all about, we wanted to create an opportunity to where, they could be introduced to independent cinema and it'd be a family friendly event. So we've actually added a family friendly um, block. So instead of just our normal four block structure where we have two nights, a matinee and a closing night, um, we now have a Saturday morning um, family friendly block. And so there's a great little selection of films about an hour long um, 
and we have everything from a superhero action film to some animation to something that's very much like a Pixar um, animated film. And they're all really, really awesome films. And we're just excited that, for one, we have a place for kids to come and watch them, but also we're partnering with the TK Martin Center um, for Technology and Disability. So we're actually going to donate the proceeds for that block to the TK Martin Center. That's fantastic that you guys are giving back. I mean, and that's the one thing that I enjoy about these community festivals like like the Magnolia and, and like the Oxford festivals that they they give back to the communities that are that support them. And that's always a big thing. And I think that's why the communities come out and support you guys as much as they do. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing. I mean, we're people support us and we would not be a festival if we didn't have our sponsors, our um, in-kind sponsors, our volunteers and everybody who just helps us out. We wouldn't we wouldn't have a festival. But also our mission is, with the MAG is not just to bring films in, but is also to educate and inspire and give an avenue to you know expand, expand people's horizons and bring new voices to the Golden Triangle. So that's kind of our mission is to educate and create opportunities, but also to give back. Now, I know that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you worked on a film. I, I don't know. I haven't, as I said, I haven't really had the chance to go through the schedule yet, but uh, you worked on The Dinner Party this year. Is that correct? I did. Um, that was going to be playing at Oxford. I knew that was going to be in Oxford. I, was, I wasn't sure if it was going to be in the mag or not. Um, what What is the experience like for those that don't know working on a film like that, especially for you as a filmmaker to work as a DP on someone else's film, how is that a different step in or a different position in your career? What's the differences for you? Yeah, it's a, it was a fun challenge because when I'm making my own film, you know, I'm I'm working to fulfill my vision as a filmmaker, and I'm having to relay that vision to the whole team so that we can all kind of collaborate and build upon that vision and make you know, make a cohesive film. But when I'm working on someone else's film as a DP, my job is to be that person who is trying to see what the vision is for the script and the filmmaker and how we can bring that to life visually. Um, so like with Dinner Party, it was uh, a great opportunity because it was a very, very unique script and a very um, – it had a, had a lot of opportunities to really be bold visually. And so I was very excited about that, and I talked to Miles you know, about this direction I wanted to go in terms of uh, – because the, the characters are very much into art – and opera and the classics and things that were very artistic and classy, I guess. And so I was like, well, this really, the way the story and the characters and the, the tone of the film, how all of those things mesh together, it very much felt like Baroque art, where it was very dark, very one light source, a lot of blood, a lot of masculinity, that sort of thing. And so we kind of developed this whole you know, idea that we would just make it look like a Baroque painting as much as, as much as possible. And then at some point transition to the Rococo era, which was kind of the relief of the Baroque era where Baroque happened for so many years and people are kind of tired of that. And it's this more feminine version of that, which kind of goes along with the theme of the movie and some of the characters and how things progress. So that's kind of the fun thing about when you're DP, you may not be the one who's writing the script, you might be the one constructing the actors, but you are a vital part of the storytelling process and you're very vital into figuring out how to bring that vision to life so it's something the director likes. And that's a good challenge to where you're like, okay, does he like this? Okay, then we'll go this direction. Um, and then you just have you know, a great team that kind of helps you do that. Yeah, and you guys, based on who I know that have worked on that project, you guys had a fantastic team with you that for the, for that one for sure. Oh, yeah, that was that was just the most um, of a team I've had so far. Like Usually there's a lot of double, you know, people wearing multiple hats or 
you know, some limitations with resources. And with Dinner Party, we had a lot of, a lot of great resources. I had a full camera team um, and a grip and electric team, and I was able to not, I didn't have to operate as much. I operated a little bit, but Connor Meganson, he was my operator. He operated most of the film. Um, and then we had a couple other people operate a couple shots. And when I had to, I'd operate, but most of the time I got to be behind the monitor. And that really, that really added to the film being a much better looking film. Um, because I could sit there with the director and really, we could really focus on what we were doing. We weren't as rushed and, you know, that kind of thing. And that has to be a good feeling. Cause I mean, with indie film, you always have a sense of urgency, I think, uh, because you're trying to, with with mostly with budget constraints, I believe more than anything. Yeah, uh, budget and time, and sometimes other resources. Right, and that's what all of these filmmakers that are coming into these film festivals have been up against, and they're getting these chances around to put them into these festivals and places like Starkville and Oxford, and as you said, you know, Clarksdale, Tupelo, Grenada, now all with festivals. I mean, right. you know, that's with the mag this year. What are some of the big films that you guys have come in or that are coming in that you guys are excited to have people come in and get a chance to see aside from the children or the family block, which I think is a brilliant idea to put on a Saturday morning because with no Saturday morning cartoons anymore, it sounds like you really just kind of filled that, that niche that's missing for that hour to give that, those, those families something to sit down and enjoy themselves for on a Saturday morning like we used yeah. to get to do just sitting on the couch. Yeah. And they'll get to see a very diverse collection of films. We'll see some comedies and um, live action, but also cartoons and um, even an experimental film. So it's kind of, it'd be very interesting to see what, what the kids like. And the kids are going to be able to actually vote on the films and pick the ones they like the most. So it kind of be like their version of the Oscars. So it's going to be kind of fun. Can I ask before we dive into the other films that you guys have got mm -hmm. coming I've always heard the term experimental film. Can you kind of define for people that don't know what they're getting into when they see something that says experimental, what they're actually going to be seeing? Yeah, so experimental can be very, it's very broad. Um, so to me, experimental film can be something that experiments with structure. So maybe it's like not your normal structure and it's presented in a way that's very, um, very different. And it's, it's experimental because they're experimenting with things that are not, film norms or it could be an experimental process so there are some you know, animations that use a very different process to create the animation that's not a typical hand-drawn or computer animation maybe it's they're you know putting chemicals in a in some water and making it a refract light and you know who knows so it could be something like that or it could be um something very it could be like an art installation so sometimes you have videos that are more like an art installation and that's very much a um experimental film so it can be any genre it can be an experimental documentary because experimental narrative um animation but really it's just when you go against any i guess when you're doing something different you're doing something that's outside the norm and maybe it doesn't quite fit a certain story structure or a certain um format the way you made it um that sort of thing so it can really you can see anything in an experimental block and those are always fun because to me i'm always i always seem to be drawn to kind of the weird movies anyway and forgive me for saying this, and I, did, I don't mean this in a negative way, but for me, the experimental block for me is that's the getaway. That's the weird block. That's the stuff I haven't seen before. Yeah. And, and I There's think actually one film that we're playing. It's called Cat Got. It's a short. It's only three minutes and it's from China. And that's the one that's the experimental film that's playing in the, in the family friendly block, but it also plays. We have it playing again in one of the other blocks. And what it's described as is an abstract and colorful fountain performance from 2D hand-drawn animation using the song Tat Got by Ison. 
or ISAN, I'm not sure how to say that, but so it's basically just a visual representation of a song through 2D hand-drawn animation. And it's just, it's trippy, and it's, it's I guess it's just very mesmerizing. It's, I mean, it's three minutes long, but you could probably watch you know, a 10-minute version of it just because it's so visually visually appealing. That sounds absolutely stunning. <laughs> I'm just, I yeah. mean, that sounds like something that's right up my alley. Uh, as far as the other, like the, the narrative and the documentaries that you guys have got coming in, uh, what are the ones that people are excited about so far? Well, our feature film lineup is really, really good this year. And, you know, talking about how, you know, all film, um, all independent films, you know, have limitations and they have restrictions. But I think when you see the feature films that we have, I'm, I'm sure it was just like every film, it's hard to make films. And these filmmakers probably had a lot of struggles and a lot of limited resources or whatnot, but you wouldn't know it. Um, because these films are just high quality. They're great stories. They're all very different, diverse. So we have um, our opening night features called Easy Does It. Um, and it actually stars um, um, Brian Batt, Dwight Henry, and Linda Hamilton. So Linda Hel- Hamilton from Terminator, she's in it. Um, and it's uh, described as a, it's a gritty 70s road movie um, where it follows a scrappy anti-heroes through Mississippi on a treasure hunt of epic proportions and kind of things go crazy. So it's very much like 1970s uh, Southern, you know, adventure, not really adventure, but I guess like uh, crime film. You know, it has, it has a certain aesthetic to it. And it's, you know, really, really fun ride. But then on Friday night, we have Lost Bayou, um, which is a Southern Gothic mystery about a struggling addict who ventures into the Louisiana swamps to reconnect with her family, or her faith healer, father, only to discover he's hiding a troubling secret aboard his houseboat. So, you know, it's a totally different film, but it's, you know, something I'm really excited about, too. Uh, so those are two of our features that are amazing. But also we have our matinee. We have a film called Spiral that's very much like a get out. Um, it's one of those type of guess, social conscious thrillers. And it's, uh, it stars Jeffrey Boyer Chapman, uh, if you're familiar with him. That name's he's not ringing a bell actor. with me. Yeah, he's an, he's an amazing actor, um, LGBT. And this is a film that's about a same-sex couple who moves to a small town. You know, to try to enjoy a better life with their 16-year-old daughter, um, and to you know bring in some nice social values. But then things get a little weird. This picturesque neighborhood's not quite what you think, and you kind of things start unfolding. And you're wondering whether or not this couple is safe, being you know same-sex couple in this small town. And so it's a it's a it's a fun little thriller. That sounds interesting. And and the the 70s road movie kind of put back into my head. A uh, film that we got to see last year, which was Nathan's Kingdom. Okay, yeah. Um, because you think about that, that was that was a trippy film. Yes, it was. Uh, but it was fantastically done. And anybody that hasn't seen it, I suggest you go out and you check that one out, especially for an actor that you know, an actor on the autism spectrum gave. Quite possibly for me, the most fantastic performance of any film I saw at the festival last year. Right, and uh, I don't know for certain, but I think they're working towards distribution. So I don't think it's quite out yet, but just be on the lookout. Go to the Facebook page. So there they announce what the availability is. You should do that. But speaking of that, we actually have a short film this year from I think they're in Tennessee, but it's called The Adventures of Wonder Boy, and it was made by an autistic kid. Um, he acts in it, and it's the you know it's a great little comedy action superhero film, very much like the old Batman. Oh, cool! Um, and so it's like that, but it's you know it's, it's an autistic kid who um, you know just shows that there's no limitations. You know, he's an actor and he's you know working on this film, and there's you know it's a great movie and it's fun, and the kids are gonna love it. 
And you would, and when you realize that he's autistic, you're like, well, that doesn't matter because he made a great film. And it just shows that, just like Nathan's Kingdom, you know, perfectly capable. Um, there's this kind of that stigma that I think these type of films are kind of squashing because there is no stigma because they, you know, they make great films and they're great actors and they're just like everybody else. I mean, that's why I love, that's why I love Nathan's, well, one of the reasons I love Nathan's Kingdom. But also I was excited when this film came through and we saw how good it was too. I think that was another, another great opportunity to show that, especially the kids, especially those kids in the audience who maybe feel like they, for whatever reason, they can't make a movie. Be like, yes, you can. Anyone can make a movie. Especially in this age where technology is so readily accessible mm-hmm. um, that you could see people that are making more and more films. And I think, again, I think it's a changing of the times because you think about growing up in Mississippi, you never thought being a filmmaker was something you could, that was a feasible way to actually support yourself and make a living. And now there's been some of the best independent film coming out of this state and out of the Southeast. And it, there's just a, a wealth of talent that I don't think enough people know about. Right. And so, about, you know, that anyone can make a movie like the, our actual, our, our final feature is called the planters and it's made by um, these two girls who they're, they're lead actors in it, but they're also they're the crew. So um, as far as I understand, they are the, the two people who made this entire feature film, and they are the two actors in it. And it looks very much Wes Anderson, quirky drama comedy type things. That's, that's kind of the feel you get from it. And it looks amazing. Um, but, you know, they, they made it on their own, just these two girls. And it's like, you know, you can have a full crew. You can do that. That's what that's what I love about independent cinema. It's like it doesn't matter your path to getting the film made. The fact is, you got it made, and you're sharing it with people. It doesn't matter if you had a lot of money or a lot of resources or none at all. The fact that you got it done, got it to a film festival, that's what matters, and you're sharing your story. So really, that's what I tell people about when they ask, you know, how do I get a movie made? It's like, well, there's a million ways to do it. Um, there's some preferred ways, ways to make it easier, but really, just get out there and make it. And that's kind of what the planners, um, filmmakers did. They just they made that film, and it's you know, it's amazing. Well, Michael, tell everybody how they can go ahead and, and buy their passes for the weekend or buy their tickets for movies at the MAG this year. Yeah, we well, can go to our website. It's magnoliafilmfest.com. Um, it has our full schedule on there. And then also there's a click, there's a link, there's a link to our tickets, which takes you to Film Freeway to purchase our tickets. So you can purchase tickets to um, individual blocks. So each block is $10, or if you're a student, it's $5. The family friendly block is $5 across the board. Um, but then we also have a festival pass, which is thirty dollars, that gets you into every block. Um, but also we have a VIP experience pass, which is seventy-five dollars, and that gets you into our opening reception, all the um, all the screenings, our after party, um, and you also have access to the VIP room, the entire um, festival. So you have you know food and drinks that you know are provided to you. So you kind of get this full experience. We get to hang out with all the other filmmakers or other guests and judges, but also you get to see all the films and get some nice perks. So the VIP experience is great for anybody who's going to try to make the, make the most of it. Yeah, it's a great chance to take advantage of it. It's a very small amount to pay to get a chance to get in there and network with all those people that are coming through. Um, yeah, and also I want to mention we have a free documentary workshop. So the same morning that the um, – on the Saturday morning, February 29th, we have the documentary workshop, which is going to be at 10 a.m., and our uh, family friendly block starts at 11. So if you, know, if you want to have you know, the family, family, you know, want to go watch the film, they can do that. But if you're more interested in documentary film, you can go to our workshop. And it's called the ABCs of making a documentary film from concept to creation. 
demystifying the creation of a documentary film. Um, and that's, I'm really excited about that. We have a filmmaker coming from Natchez, Mississippi, who's going to teach this. He's an award-winning producer, creator, director, and he uses humor and actual projects um, and a lot of his experience to show how you can either begin your, uh, your documentary film or um, be more intermediate. Intermediate. So if whether you're a beginner or an intermediate documentarian, documentarian, then you can kind of take something from this. That's a two-hour workshop, and it's free, but we do have limited space. Um, so you'll just need to go to our website, and there's a sign-up button down on our schedule. Um, or I'll, I'll, we'll soon be putting a Facebook event on Facebook. So you've got to sign up because once the class is full, then maybe put on a waiting list in case someone backs out. Okay. And for anybody out there that's listening that follows us on Facebook or on Twitter, uh, keep a watch on ours because we will share out those links as well. Yeah. Oh, and also, I forgot to mention, we actually added a music video block this year. Um, so we'll actually have music videos playing during our pre-roll and intermissions. Um, they'll each play twice. Everybody has you know, two chances to see them. But we added five music videos this year um, from all over the country. Oh, that's actually the world. We have some from the Netherlands and Uruguay, actually. That'll that'll be interesting for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, so for anybody out there that's listening, it seems like for any any element of film that actually interests you, you can go to the mag and you can learn filmmaking techniques in the documentary workshop. You can go check out different films and see different styles and see what may influence you. You never know when you go to an independent film festival, there may be a film there that you can draw back to that's going to inspire you in your in your future endeavors in your own projects. There's yeah, something actually, for everyone, right? Exactly. And that's something I want to mention. I don't know if you saw my Facebook post the other day, but I just was sitting there thinking because I was listening to the soundtrack to this movie that I actually saw at the mag, I think, in 2009. It's called Make Out With Violence. Um, it's a zombie coming-of-age love story, comedy, drama. It's like it's a genre-bending film, but it was made by some uh, some guys up in, or like young people up in Tennessee. It took them, I think, four or five years to make it. And this was long, it's an amazing story, but the film, I remember blowing me away because that was back when I was just making short films and I was like, I'm not going to make a feature film. I don't, I, don't, I don't think I can do that. And so when I saw that film, I was like, man, I love what they did. If they did it, I can do it. I love their marketing. I love the way they branded the film. And so that film really led to me making my first feature about four years later. And I still think about that film. I still listen to the soundtrack. I was like, I waited for that soundtrack to come out and I bought it. And then I was on the wait list to get the Blu-ray when it came out. And that's just, that just shows that you never know what you're going to see. And like most people have never seen Make Out With Violence. And it's, it's kind of hard to find. But I got to see it and it, you know, it basically inspired me and changed my life. And I was like, well, if I could see that to Mag, you know, you never know that someone may see one of our films and be like, oh, I can do that. Or it inspires me or it's just something that they'll want to revisit like Star Wars. They love it just as much. They just want to keep watching it over and over. And you, know, you never know what you're going to discover. You may discover something that is so unique and speaks to you that you wouldn't find anywhere else. Film is both a, to me, it's both a universal language and a very personal language. Right. Because you never know what's going to inspire who. Uh, and, and that's always the fun part about independent film for me is you'll find just some, You'll find some bizarre things, but you will absolutely fall in love with the characters and the way things are being done. And you'll see techniques that are being used by these filmmakers that will you'll eventually see will make their way to Hollywood. Right. So for anybody out there that's looking for just a, a fun weekend, take your weekend, 
go down to Starkville, Mississippi and hang out at the mag, check out these films, hang out with the filmmakers, make sure you support your small town festivals, especially because that's how we keep the arts alive in a time when so many schools and communities are losing their artistic expression. Right. So, Michael, I just want to tell you, thank you again for coming on. Great talking to you and catching up. And uh, yeah. I will. we will see you for sure. I would imagine you're going to be at Oxford for the premiere for the dinner party, correct? Yeah, so I'll be at Oxford Thursday through Sunday. That's the plan. We'll be there Friday through Sunday, so we will see you there. Awesome. Hopefully I'll see you at the MAG, too. I'm, I'm hoping. It just, with the way our schedule is, with the adding the radio show, Right. It's complicated things when it comes to going and doing a lot more traveling, but uh, yeah, well, you're but, part of the Mac family, so you're always welcome. Well, I appreciate that. Well, Michael, again, I appreciate it. Thank you for giving us some time. Great catching up with you as always. I look forward to seeing you. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right, thank you. Bye bye. Yep, have a good one. You too. You know, cookies. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's just fun to go back and talk to the people that we've we've known that kind of help us get our helped us get our foot in the door and and that I have become family I mean, right. to us. I mean, especially these last couple of weeks talking film festivals. I mean, you know, they took us in like we were one of their own, even though we were wide enough, they could have shown the films on our backs. But, right. you know, <laughs> but uh, I want to say thank you again to, to Michael for this week. And again, thank you to the McPhails for last week. Uh, it's tight. It's festival time for us, folks. You're going to see a lot of films get talked about that are going to be, things that I think you should definitely check out. But, hey, we'll be back with you again next week. You don't have to miss us for long. That's right. Because, hey, we'll be back. Same fat time. Same, Same fat, fat channel. channel. With more gravy. Off Script with the Heavyweight Chumps is produced by Mad Fat Loud Entertainment, LLC. Executive producer, Sally Maddox. All music used by permission. No part of this podcast can be rebroadcast or retransmitted without written expressed permission of the Heavyweight Chumps and Mad Fat Loud Entertainment, LLC. Copyright 2020 Mad Fat Loud Entertainment, LLC.